you revel in the, in the message of that last song? Whoa. Wow. That was, I have to, have to admit, that was a new song for me. And, and wow. It's just the gospel. What Jesus did is amazing. And it transforms our lives and it transforms our world. And man, uh, just thinking back of what he did, right? He's laying there dead. And he did all that for us. He sacrificed himself for us. And he did it perfectly, right? And then it, it didn't, doesn't end there. Then he rose from the dead. You know, a dead man comes back to life again. That doesn't happen every day. And, and, and wow, he did it for us. And it impacts our lives. It gives us victory over sin and reason to live and uh, hope. Wow. Preaching would be in vain if it wasn't for that, by the way. And then it doesn't stop there. He went to heaven and he conquered all of Satan's, it demonstrates that, the, that Satan no longer has any power whatsoever. Just, it's done, right? He really doesn't have power. He doesn't have authority. He doesn't control us. Jesus controls us as he reigns in heaven. Then someday he's going to come back. <laughs> and wow, what a day that'll be. And we're going to live with him and we're going to dwell with him forever and well. That's why we're here. That's why we gather. Well, um, uh, man, just reveling in that this morning. So praise God. Uh, we are enjoying, Lori and I are enjoying being grandparents. And uh, we have a little uh, one and a half year old, 18 months now, Declan, with a little girl on the way. And my wife Lori's here with me as well, and it's just good to be with you guys. I was thinking back, 18, 20, let's see, 28 years we've been partnering with this church. And I, I mentioned that in our ABF Hour. It's exciting to see uh, what God has done and the changes that have happened here and around the world and in our lives through those years. Um, we just thank you. I want to thank you, uh, Lori and I. Uh, publicly for your prayers, for your faithful financial support, uh, for the way you've encouraged us down through the years. It's, I told several people this week of just how special of a relationship we have with Calvary Baptist Church of, of Battle Creek, and we're just really grateful. Uh, God is using your prayers and your gifts and your support of us in our ministry and Horizons ministry around the world. It's amazing to see what God is doing. Uh, just in 2018 alone, our team, our small team, will conduct training in 10 different locations globally involving well over 50 different Bible colleges and seminaries. So we're working with Bible colleges and seminaries around the world, outside of the United States, and we'll be touching over 50 of them just this year with the kind of training that we're, we're, we, we talked about in, in Sunday school, in ABF hour. So God is, is, is really opening wide doors for us. Now, this map shows the global population. So there we are in China. We know that China is huge. Did you know that India has 1.358 billion people? 1.358 billion people? Now, China has, to give you a perspective, China has 1.41 billion. So in a few years, India is going to be larger 
in terms of population. It's going to be bigger than China. Um, how do you reach, how do you impact, how do you reach 1.35 billion people? <laughs> one day at a time, one person at a time. That's right. That's right. And now, there's, there's no way we can do this as missionaries. There's no way, right? However, as we invest in the training of quality national leaders who live there, and as we partner with them, those who know the language and the culture, that's one of the most effective strategies. So beyond our normal work, uh, I didn't get a chance to talk a little, uh, I talked a little bit about this in Sunday school, but I wanted to mention more about this. Um, uh, beyond our normal work at Horizon, uh, my role is the director of educational partnerships. So I'm kind of the liaison guy between the schools that we work with out there and our home office and help with implementation of what they want, they choose to use uh, among that, of, of that which we supply. Uh, we, we supply a LMS, you know what that is? An LMS, right? A new language, it's called a learning management system called Moodle, and it's the, the global standard for learning management systems, an online classroom, right? So we supply that, uh, that service for them, and then we supply a lot of training for these schools. And I'm the guy that helps these schools think through and implement these programs so that they're using online education to expand their student base and expand their, no, their, their choice of professors because no longer do you have to be on campus to teach, right? When you're teaching online, you can be anywhere in the world. And your students can be anywhere in the world. And so you expand your student base, you expand your faculty selection, and then you uh, do all this. And it's, it's actually, we do it for them. We can provide this for them extremely reasonably in terms of cost. So uh, that's, that's my job. It's kind of the implementation guy. Well, beyond our normal work, uh, last spring our team was invited to participate in a series of nine week-long training events held in various locations around the world. And this was spawned by the tremendous interest in online education by nationalized Bible colleges and seminaries. Horizon is collaborating, collaborating with a group called Overseas Council, who are the organizers, but we are providing the bulk of curriculum for these events, and some online and some face-to-face -face training. And so far this year, our team has been in Ecuador, Toga, India, and two of us just returned from Mexico City, where we participated in training 21 leaders from deans, and talk about deans and Bible college presidents and, and uh, uh, key faculty members, um, from six Latin American countries in two languages. So we were working by translanguaging in Spanish and Portuguese, and we just, uh, those languages are similar enough that we were able to speak very deliberately em português e fomos, acho eu, entendidos, right? So we, we, we tried to do that, and it worked. And I understood most of their Spanish, we understood most of their Spanish, and they understood most of our Portuguese. So that's kind of some of the things we'll do, we're doing. Um, in a couple of weeks, we'll be do doing the same thing in, uh, with Russian-speaking language, uh, language, in the Russian-speaking language group. Probably we're hearing now over 30 schools are going to be represented in, represented in this training, which will be held in Istanbul uh, in about, a, about two weeks. So these are some of the things that we're, we're doing. Um, so in, as I mentioned before, in 2018 alone, we're, 
we're going to be touching about 50 different Bible colleges, probably more than 50 different Bible colleges around the world. Um, so these are, this is one way we can maybe make a little bit of an impact in these huge numbers of people around the world um, by training people who can train others who can train others, right? That multiplication effect. And we could never do this alone, uh, but look at what we might get done through the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit together. Right? Together. Together with you, together with these partners that we're finding around the world, astute scholars of the word around the world that know their culture and language. I don't speak Russian, but we'll be, have to go through an interrupter there, you know. And, and, but they can go out and, and minister in their own cultures and train people in their own cultures. And it's, it's exciting. Well, thinking about this, I read a book a while back, uh, maybe some of, you, some of you have heard of it, uh, by James Hunter called To Change the World. And it's been one of the most more inf influential, influential books in North American evangelicalism in recent times and calls us to faithful presence, emphasizing that in order to truly change the culture, we need to identify and train elites who have the capability to influence society at high levels, primarily through the arts. Well, he's a little more nuanced than that, and that's a simplistic view of his uh, uh, redaction of his book. And he makes some really good points. However, there's, there was something to his plan as I got to the end of the book and really thinking about this, that it just didn't, really didn't resonate with me. And, and I thought, boy, how do you... I, I, I got to think, and I, I, th I think that the Apostle Paul maybe had a better idea of how to change the world. So we come to our text today, 2 Timothy 2, 1-2, a very familiar text. You know this. You know this text, but let's look at it together. And I'd like to dive into it a little more closely this morning with you. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. A very familiar text. Let's ask the Lord to help us, the Spirit to guide us in our study. God, we thank you, and we want to publicly just pause right here and ask you specifically to guide the words, guide your word through your Holy Spirit in such a way that it might be communicated and enter into our hearts and render its work for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, his beloved child. He appro his approach is more fatherly than friendly, more familial than ecclesiastical, more personal than professional. He treats Timothy as if he were his own biological son, right? But Timothy is so much more than this. He's his son in the faith. He addresses him in 1 Corinthians 4 as my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. In 1 Timothy 1, 2, he refers to him as my true child in the faith. At the beginning of 2 Timothy, he refers to him as his beloved child. 
is it appears that Paul was the one who led Timothy to Christ, and there was a very special relationship between them, a father-son relationship. Timothy was apparently either from the town of Lystra or Derby in a region where uh, that was not particularly receptive to Paul and Barnabas after uh, and their message during the first, their first uh, visit to that region, their first missionary journey. Uh, being left for dead after a stoning at Lystra only seemed to embolden Paul, who went on down the road to pr- keep preaching at Derby, the next town. God blessed them with fruit, and there were disciples made at both of these towns, most likely including the young man Timothy. Well, then Paul returned on his second missionary journey to the same area, to Derby and Lystra, and recruited Timothy to accompany him in his missionary journeys. So he took him under his wing as a son. He took a risk on him, even took him and either circumcised him by his own hand, he was a rabbi, or took him to a rabbi and got him circumcised so that there would, there, there would be nothing that would impede his, effect in the, his effectiveness, even among the Jewish communities. And then he went on with him. And these, these sorts of activities really deepen trust, if you can imagine, that kind of relationship. They really deepen trust. So they journeyed together to the opposite edge of Asia Minor. Then Timothy crossed the Aegean Sea with Paul into Macedonia. Timothy was on the team in Philippi, in Thessalonica, in Berea, in Corinth, when Paul wrote First and Second Timothy, or First and Second Thessalonians. On his third journey, we find Timothy with Paul at Ephesus, where he wrote another letter, Second Corinthians. And then he later in Rome, when Paul wrote Philippians and Colossians and Philemon, Timothy was there. Right? So the younger Timothy was always there when Paul preached, when he taught, when he wrote, when he fought, when he suffered. And he was like a son to him in all respects. Later in chapter 3, if you want to turn there, chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 10 to 11 says, You, however, Timothy, you have followed, and that word would, would mean not just follow, but follow faithfully, continued to follow my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. He followed his aim in life. My faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Timothy had followed all of these things faithfully. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. He goes on in verse 14 to say, continue in what you've learned. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by, appear, by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, continue, exhort, continue to do that which I have modeled for you in my life. One of the questions that we get a lot in, uh, one of the frequently asked questions about online education was asked actually this morning in, in essence, and that is how can, uh, the question this morning was about community. How can community be, be built online in online studies? Uh, a similar question is, is how can spiritual formation and practical ministry experience, practical ministry training happen online? My response to the question this morning was, was similar to this. And, First of all, we need, to th- we, we need to think about, we discuss the need for f- teacher presence online. Our model of training is not hands-off. 
it's very involved for the teacher. It's very engaged for the teacher. And um, we also suggest that practical ministry training will happen better if we don't pull people out of their discipleship contexts and their ministry contexts, which is the local church and the local community, and hold them up in a simulated environment in a, on a campus somewhere. But if we can keep them in ministry, in their communities, with the people that are already discipling them, bring more resources and more training to them in that environment, we believe we're going to be further ahead. And uh, that resolves uh, some of the cost factors too, right? So um, this kind, we believe that this kind of spiritual formation and ministerial competency will, will more likely happen if people are in ministry contexts. That's the point. It keep, stay in ministry context. It's, it's interesting. Uh, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, when we were in Mexico City, we were listening to what they were saying uh, from one of our partner schools in Colombia. We had gathered there for some training with this, and one of the represents, or one couple was represented from the Colombian school that we work with. And they were saying that most of their online students were not the young people that they thought they were going to get. And this was corroborated by, by many of the others in Latin America, that most of the online students that they were having were late 30s and 40 and above. Why? Well, because the younger people, they like to go to the campuses, right? And, and have that, have that uh, fellowship and have that experience, and that's great. It's wonderful. I experienced that. My wife experienced that, and it was, it was great, you know? We grew a lot. But there's all this other... Uh, group of people that many of them, most of them, they said, were already pastoring churches. They were pastors, okay? And they were out there desperately needing and wanting training, but they couldn't, they have families and jobs, and most of them were bivocational, and, and they couldn't just up and leave and go to a campus somewhere across the country or to a different country. So that's the people that were taking advantage of the online programs. Very interesting. So Timothy and Paul are operating that, in that sort of baton-passing, mentoring relationship in context of ministry, in the context of ministry. So with that background, Paul writes a second personal letter to, to Timothy. Timothy, now an adult, already a pastor in Ephesus. He had done these treks with Paul, and now he's in Ephesus uh, as a pastor. He's a man of respect, but Paul still calls him his son. Not in a demeaning way, but in an intimate, fatherly way. So what does he say? He says, you then, my child, be strengthened. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So I'd like to delve into this a, a little bit further. Uh, it's interesting, this first, um, this first command is an imperative. Be strengthened. It is a command, but it's written in the passive voice. Be strengthened. Now, active commands are sometimes easier for us. As a boy, my mom would say, Brian, cut the grass, pick the beans, you know, uh, clean out the garage. And we get those commands. They're clear, and they require us to do something. But there's something, uh, there's a sense in which it's a little more difficult when it's a passive command where she'd say, like, Brian, be still. That was a really tough one. Uh, or be patient, I'll help you in a minute. 
or wait, where we really can't do anything. We just have to, we're, we're, we're really dependent on others. Passive demand commands demand that we depend on someone else. It forces us into a mode of submission. It forces us into a mode of submission. We are no longer in control. In this case, Timothy was to be strengthened. He was not commanded to go to the gym, expected to work out longer or work longer hours. He was not commanded to sign up for community service. It was not a matter of working harder, serving more, suffering more, or even reading more scripture. That's not the command. Here, not here anyway. Paul knew that in this case, Timothy needed to let someone else minister to him. He needed the strength drawn from outside of himself. In missions, we talk a lot about not creating dependence. Personally, I think we need to talk more about it, but we, we must cease trying to solve everyone's problems for them and dis- discipline ourselves towards releasing responsibility to our Holy Spirit-filled, capable national brothers and sisters. This is so, so important. Much of what we run into out there is uh, neither healthy nor sustainable. And we've got to be more careful about creating dependence and then where we do create dependence initially uh, or where we have done so in the past, we need to back, figure out ways to back out of it. But there is a healthy dependence. There is a healthy dependence. Dependence on God and His grace is both healthy and sustainable, right? In fact, whether we admit it or not, it's absolutely necessary for anything worthwhile uh, that's going to happen. So, how was Timothy to be strengthened? He was to be strengthened simply by the grace or in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's the power behind the strengthening. The power behind the strength strength is grace, God's grace. And this grace is only found in union with Christ. Therefore, if Timothy was to be strong, it was not going to come from his own abilities or self-discipline. Strength from the kind of, for the kind of multiplication ministry to which Paul was about to challenge him went way beyond his capacity. If, we, if he went about this uh, with, the, with the strength that is, if he went about this without the strength that is drawn from daily or actually uh, continual communication with and fellowship with, worship of and reliance on Christ, he would crash and burn. And I, th- I think of this grace, when I think of this grace, I think of an illustration when, when I was, when our boys were little, okay, we'd, we'd take them to the coast there in Portugal. And we had beautiful coastline. About half the country's uh, border is Atlantic Ocean, right? We go to this place called uh, the Boca do Inferno, the mouth of hell it was called. And it was a tourist kind of spot and everything. It was really beautiful coastline. And it was a place where they had these, the, 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 the cliffs dropped down about 40 feet into the water. Uh, and the, the waves would come up there and, and crash against those cliffs and not only uh, scale those 40 feet, but go like 50, 60 feet into the, into the air. And then the water would rain down, the ocean, that salt water would rain down onto the uh, rocks there and wash away anything that was not really solid. So over the years, uh, over the centuries, there, these big crags would form, and, and there were crags like a meter deep, and, and they were really sharp and, and dangerous. So I take my, that's of course where the boys wanted to walk. And right there near the cliff, it's close to the cliff as they could get, you know. And so the rule was I had to hang on to their hand. And uh, when they were little, you know, and I, and I could handle them. And, 
And so I would, I would jump, take, jump from one crag to the next, you know, and then I'd, I'd kind of help them jump, and we'd go along like that. And that reminds me of the kind of dependence that we have on our, our, our Lord as we're, as we're jumping from precipice to precipice, you know, from dangerous situation to dangerous situation, and, and we get into some crazy places around the world. But all of us are dependent like that, aren't we? We're really dependent upon our, on that hand, that fatherly hand holding us as we jump from one situation to the next. And that's the strength, that's the grace that we find only, only in Jesus. So strengthening faith is like this fatherly hand. Having conquered all obstacles, Jesus is one step ahead of us, guiding us, keeping us secure as we leap along from one precarious situation to the next. This is a healthy dependence. This is sustainable because in our mission, Jesus promised to what? To be with us, right? Even to the end of the age. So this is a necessary dependence. So if, if, if Timothy is going to do what Paul's about to ask him to do, he's got to be strong, but he's got to be strong not in himself, in that grace that, that is only available in Christ Jesus. That's the foundation here. Now, uh, he goes on and he talks about the exhortation. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. What you have heard, now he's going to tell him what to do. What you have heard from me among many witnesses, entrust this. Entrust this. What is the content of Timothy's message? The content is the gospel. The content is the gospel. Paul has modeled that for him. He's heard him preach. He's heard him talk about Jesus coming and living perfect, a perfect life, uh, about him dying on the cross, a horrible death, but purposeful because he need, somebody needed to pay that payment for our sin. He did it. He did it perfectly. He fulfilled God's law and God's justice. And, and then he didn't stay dead like we talked about earlier. He rose again. You know? And then he, he ascended. And he, he's reigning today. And someday he will come back. This message was the content of what Timothy was, was to be uh, passing on. And he, he also mentions this, this, this uh, came in the context of many witnesses. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Tra- trans- transfer this and trust this. Paul reminds Timothy that these teachings were not, not isolated thoughts that he made up on the spot untied to history. This gospel was rooted in Old Testament scriptures. It was what Timothy had heard from his grandmother and his mother, as well as from Paul and others on the team. He had personally seen the gospel. Timothy had personally seen the gospel transform lives. This was what he was to pass on. Um, He could have confidence that his message had been verified, was true, and was powerful. And there's also another aspect of this idea that that there were many witnesses. Not only could Timothy have confidence in the gospel, Paul also reminded him that through this phrase that he was not alone in this task. There were many others in this task. Call to mind uh, Hebrews 11, that list of faithful warriors, people who exercised faith in active ways. In chapter 12, verse 1, that, that says, Therefore we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us run, therefore, 
with endurance this race of ministry. So Paul reminded him that he was, he was not independent, but rather interdependent on those who had gone before him. So there was dependence upon God and interdependence upon those around him, those that had gone before him, those that were serving with him. These are basic principles for multiplication ministry. So what is the ministry? What is the crux of it? The exhortation is this. Entrust. Entrust simply means to set before, to commit, or to trust with. Luke 12 says, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Ideally, entrusting looks like this. Ideally, right? But sometimes it looks like this. Or sometimes it looks like this. Well, what does it mean to entrust something? Well, the very word indicates that it involves trust. We talked about that, right? That Paul and Timothy had had this trust relationship. If we're going to entrust, if we're going to do what Paul has commanded Timothy to do, here locally, globally, wherever we do it, there's got to be a trust relationship built. Um, the something that we entrust is usually something of value or of power. And this transfer involves risk. It could be dropped. Something could get lost or damaged in the transfer or the handling, kind of like when we travel, our luggage, you know. Uh, so let me give you another illustration um, of what this calls to mind in my mind. Uh, I grew up in a farm about, oh, I don't know, 30 miles east, 20 miles east, Hopkins, however many miles that is from here, right? We're by Allegan. And small farm, and, and Mr. Parmley owned the farm up the road, and he owned our farm, and so he did all the heavy lifting, and we, we sort of rented the house. My dad was a pastor, and that was our parsonage. Uh, but we had a lot of the responsibilities of a big garden, and and one of the in a yard and all a lot of other things, but uh, one of the things we had to do is is fill the the furnace with wood because we had a wood burning furnace and it was not one of these efficient ones. We burned uh, fourteen to sixteen cord of wood every year. Now th those weren't face cord, if you know what that means. These were full cord, so it's a lot of wood, right? So we were most afternoons in the fall cutting wood. Anyway, so there was Mr. Parmley, he'd be on the chainsaw, or my dad would be on the chainsaw, and the other one would be on the splitting mall, the axe. And, um, and the chainsaw for me was a long way away, you know, and that was just out of my reality. I didn't really want to touch that. I wasn't ready for that as a young boy. We would pick up the sticks and pick up the, the, the wood that was chopped and throw it into the wood wagon. That was my brothers and I. That was our job. But... I couldn't, you know, I couldn't imagine using the chainsaw. You had to hardly lift the thing. But I was watching that axe, and I'm thinking, man, that is a cool instrument. And especially when I watched Mr. Parmalee wield it. And I, I thought, you know, I'd like to learn how to do that. And so I, I, I watched him, and I watched him, and, and they talked to us about it. My dad would talk to me about where to stand and where not to stand and how that axe head could maybe uh, 
uh, fall off if not, if, if not on there securely so you don't stand right directly in front of it and all this stuff. And we learned all this. And he gave me all the instructions. We knew exactly how to do it, right? But not until he gave me that axe and entrusted me with this ferocious weapon <laughs> did I really learn it, okay? And even then I needed instruction. I would watch Mr. Parmalee. He would just effortlessly walk up to that log and study it a little bit and just lift that axe and let it drop and psh, perfect size for our, for our furnace. And so I, I wanted to do that, and, but not until they gave me the axe could I even try to learn, right? There was that, that moment of entrusting. I, it was a dangerous instrument. I could have hurt my brother with it. Sometimes I wanted to. A, I could have hurt myself with it. Sometimes I could have hurt my dad with it. You know, but, but, uh, but there was that act, that risk that's, that happens. And, and finally came the day and we, we got to try it. You know? And we learned how to do that. We learned that skill. That's kind of, a, kind of the way it goes in terms of this, this process of entrusting. So Paul had been instructing, modeling, and coaching Timothy all along the way, entrusting him with more and more responsibilities. Uh, Timothy had now become a pastor, and he was exhorting him now that, Timothy, you need to do that same process with other people. Faithful men. To faithful men. People who are capable. We need to look for those people. Timothy, you need to look for those people in your congregation in your sphere of influence, maybe in other places as well, beyond your congregation, and look for ways that you can do the same process of teaching, instructing, entrusting these capabilities to them, this knowledge and these capabilities. Timothy was to identify, recruit, and pour his life into these kind of people, people who are not who are going to have the capacity not only to grasp the baton, but also to pass it on. With, him, with them, he was to constantly, to constantly hand over more and more trust. This was how he would change the world. This is how we will change the world. As we look for people around us that might be those Timothys, that might be those people who we can pour our lives into, I don't see another solution. It seems to me that this corresponds very directly with the Great Commission. Does it not? We're just supposed to make disciples. Make disciples. Baptizing them, teaching them, you know, training them, and then entrusting ministry to them so that they can take it on to the next generation. You know what happens if we don't do that? All that we've tried to do dies with us. It dies with you. And I don't want that to happen. We don't want that to happen. We want to invest in people that can take things to the next level, right? And can take, and that's what partnering, that would, that's what entrusting, that's what discipleship is all about. Let's call it what it is, disciple-making, right? That's what God calls us to do. So my question for you, for all of us, is do we have those people in our lives? Maybe you can think back of those people that did that for you. And they entrusted, entrusted to you the gospel, gospel ministry. 
in whatever form you are fulfilling it. Could you do that for someone else? Are you looking consciously, deliberately for those people that you can train, that you can bring alongside you and, and train up in ministry? You can pass on what God has given to you through others and pass that on to them so that they can carry on what carry on, and maybe even do better work than you're doing. Wouldn't that be great? Huh? That's the, the sign of a great teacher. That's a sign of a great disciple maker. So my, my, our, our exhortation for you today, for all of us, for me included, is are we looking deliberately for those people to whom we can entrust that which God has given to us? That people that will take it and take it to the next level and continue that multiplication process, that's how we change the world. Let me conclude by just reminding you of a, or just telling you a story about a chat I had during my first year in Portugal. I happened to be at the season, meet a seasoned missionary one afternoon at the post office at Santo Antonio dos Cavaleiros. And after waiting in line to mail our letters, we went out in the sun and sat on a rock. And I explained how I was struggling with this idea of creating dependence. I said, we evangelize and disciple people, and then we they become dependent upon us. We plant churches and pastor them and people become dependent upon us. How do you back out of that? I'll never forget his response. You point them to Jesus. You point them to Jesus. So in this process of trying to reach one, the 1.358 million people of billion people of India, or the 1.41 million people, billion people of China, or the however many billions are in the rest of the world, we draw strength for ourselves from the grace of God, and we faithfully entrust the gospel in its fullness to those who will continue to faithfully entrust it to others, always pointing them to Jesus, always pointing them to Jesus, some fundamental principles for how to change the world.